Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 69, nice, of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide Daryl Edge, am on the journey to true Cage Nirvana, that is the most highest, purest, spiritual, blessed, emotional, sexual form of being possible, and how do you achieve that one might ask, well let me tell you, by watching every film that Nicolas Cage, the greatest actor of this hour, any generation has been in, and getting to know the man a little bit better. How are you this week? Hope you're well. Uh, very exciting week I've had. I've turned 30. I'm 30 now. That's the thing that's happened. We're here. We're getting used to it. We're having a good time. Um, I've spent a lot of this time being very drunk and or hung over, which is, in short, the reason that the episode is a little bit late. So, sorry, not sorry about that one but getting straight into the heart of the matter because of major weight we're here for episode 69 and it is what is arguably one of the worst Nicolas Cage films ever made one of the worst films ever made it's the one percent rotten tomato rated Christian apocalyptic film left behind uh, this one's been a, a, a long time coming actually and I was joined for this one by stand-up comedian Alex Keeley. Uh, this one was recorded sort of way back in um, December of 2020. So been sitting on this one for about nine months now. Um, so it was also all sort of recorded through Zoom. So hopefully the audio is going to be all right. But we had, um, yeah, really fun conversation. Really looking forward to getting into this one. So I won't keep you waiting much longer. We're going to get right into it. As ever, to get the admin out of the way, you can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast. We within um, touching distance of 1,000 followers on Twitter, so please do consider showing some support and giving a follow over there. We're on Instagram as well, at CageRagePod, and you can find us on all the usual streaming services, podcasting, joy, wherever you get your podcast. You know, the ones Apple, Spotify, Podchaser, Stitcher. Uh, Google, Amazon, Deezer, iHeartRadio, tuned in, and the rest, of course, Acast as well. And if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the show, please do consider uh, giving us a follow, giving us a like as well. I know everyone has to do it, but it does help things grow, and it's always very much appreciated. Um, so with that said, let's dive right in. It's Down on Edge. It's Alex Keeley, episode 69, Left Behind. Duh. So this week, we turn our eyes to the skies for the 2014 apocalyptic thriller Left Behind. In Left Behind, we see Nicolas Cage as pilot Rayford Steele. Now, after millions of people on Earth suddenly disappear, Rayford must find a way to ensure his passengers survive as they remain 30,000 feet in the air. Now, joining me this week on the journey to True Cage Nirvana to try and make sense of it all and figure out whether this film is set for takeoff or should have had its departure delayed is stand-up comedian and writer Alex Keeley. Alex... Thank you so much for joining me this week. How the devil are you? Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Just pottering through, I guess, the aftermath of lockdown two, et cetera, et cetera. Lovely to watch some Nicolas Cage when there's literally nothing else to do with my life. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've found in a very selfish sense, this has been the best time to get guests because um, it's like, <laughs> what else are you doing? And that sounds horrible to say, but it's like, for me, when life gives you lemons, <laughs> offer them, offer the lemons to Nicolas Cage. Um, with that being said, and uh, I appreciate that you've spent your afternoon watching this, whatever this was. Um, I I watched it last week on my day off, and what a day that was. Um, <laughs> obviously, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, a lot of the time, I just like to start by just asking uh, you, you know, what are your sort of thoughts on Nicolas Cage? I've always found he is the one actor in this world that you say the name everyone's got an opinion some find him good some find me terrible there's never an in-between opinion i'm interested to know uh, your thoughts and feelings on the man 
I mean, yeah, I, uh, he's clearly not terrible. I don't, yeah, I think it's a bold thing to say he's not terrible. I mean, he's just a man with tax problems that's had to make <laughs> some incredibly bad decisions, right? I mean, like, I think he's an impeccable actor. It's just whoever's his financial advisor is the real, like, I don't know, because he's just, he just brings so much mad energy. I mean, you wouldn't want him in many roles, but he's, he's, he brings a sort of irreplaceable bonkers energy to so many <laughs> films. But I would argue this is absolutely, spoiler alert, not one of those. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is. He, I would say he telephones this particular film in. Is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like, I, I kind of feel bad in a way because although last week for me at the time of recording was the first time and hopefully the last time I will ever watch this film or talk about it and I'll put it to the delete recycle bin of my mind. Um, This is very fresh for you. And I sort of, I knew sort of going in that this wasn't one of his highest rated films. It's 1% (laughs) on Rotten Tomatoes. But but there's also part of me knowing that... um, and sort of the conversations we had building up to the recording, you selected this. So I'm kind of not too sorry. I mean, and again, we'll go into this a bit later, but um, your sort of initial thoughts on auto, how, how are you processing this 1% <laughs> Rotten Tomato film? Well, I think it's like, okay, so like a funny, I suppose for me, a funny comparison is that like, there's the HBO series, uh, The Leftovers, Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, you know, a three-season uh, premium television show by the creator of Lost, um, which is very highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm only two seasons out of three in, but basically it's like, what would happen if the, like... <laughs> what would happen if the rapture sort of happened or if, like, something similar to the rapture happened? And then it is an utterly, like, engrossing moral and social and like psychological drama and it's it's great it's incredibly well-reviewed show and then this is like the opposite of that (laughs) this is like (laughs) really you know it doesn't you know there's there's a lot like it's a funny film to watch in terms of just like how it deals with what yeah it missed a little bit but it's just like I suppose I wanted to see something which was the worst version of something that I'd been that I'd watched that was a very good, <laughs> just like, yes, the, the just like to go and watch a version of The Sopranos written by an idiot who's never <laughs> met anyone in the, in the mafia, like roughly, yeah. Yeah, it's um, just a, a bonkers film. And I try, especially now, to try and um, just let the film sort of play, make notes as it's going, do any sort of backgrounds before or after, and just trying to in, uh, take it in in one sitting, this is one of maybe the only Cage film with maybe one or two exceptions where I've had to pause it about four times and I actually felt my heard myself shouting at my TV, fuck right off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because some of this, and again, I, I knew it was something to do with the plane and like um, some kind of apocalypse uh, sub-genre kind of thing. I didn't realise until watching the film, because I I try to go in as sort of fresh as I can, that it was so, um, such a religious film, so Christian-centric. Sure, sure, sure. Based on the rapture. (laughs) Um, I thought, well, you know, people are Christians. But then as the film went on, I was like, oh, 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 okay, right. I am not the audience for this. I don't know. Even with Christians, I don't know who the audience was <laughs> for this. Um, man. I mean, I think the, I think the audience, I think the target audience was people who don't understand what investigative reporters are. That was one of my favourite <laughs> uh, running bad out of it. So one of the like one of the protagonists is a uh, is an investigative reporter. It's the first thing we find out. But he's a like. <laughs> Can we? Can I cut? Can I cut straight into this? Just like please, yeah, please, so please. so so he's he's an investigative reporter who is mobbed at the airport uh, at the <laughs> beginning of the film, and it's like okay, but it's just like I don't, I there's no one, there are no like investigative reporters that are not like 
Glenn Greenwald or what like, I tr- I'm trying to think of like equivalents. That is like the most I don't like him for various reasons, but like I can't think of you I can't think of a journalist, maybe like a new like maybe a news reader. If it was like Jake Tapper or whatever, I could yeah. see him getting mobbed. But like this, this person strikes me as like a, a, a like an actual investigative journalist, and he gets like mobbed at the airport, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's!" And like he's got a name recognition of the level of like, like, of like a Robert Downey Jr. in this in this world. Like it's like it's that level of like that many people recognizing him. And I'm like, okay, but he's just he's just an investigative reporter. Like <laughs> even if he had his own TV show, this wouldn't. And then the best. <laughs> He does an anecdote where he's like, yeah, this reminds me of the time when I was uh, reporting on the this tsunami and then uses it as like to tell a story about like the the uh, an extreme moral situation. And it's like, OK, but it's not like this isn't like the Panama Papers or something. like I don't know what type of investigative <laughs> reporter. Like, what are you solving? Oh, I've cracked the case of the tsunami. It, it was a it was a big old wave, actually. <laughs> like, it's not. <laughs> what is he investigating yeah this was when um and this film to to speak about it broadly introduces a lot of characters and expects us to care about all of them um cameron willens who we got there book to his friends who's the investigative reporter um just mobbed by the adoring public um now I, i always sort of worry with some things like in case i've missed something obvious but other than him being an investigative, investigative, I can't even say it because I'm so mad. Did they, <laughs> did they, or the film ever establish why he, for the one singular reason that he's so famous, or it's just this is our way of explaining that he's an important character? Because I don't think it did. Couldn't I mean that? And again, as a Christian film, that's what makes that funnier because they could have done <laughs> two extra lines of writing and been like. Well, he um, was crit- like that. There was some like little story that he'd done, which in some way like slagged off organized religion, or was like a kind of skeptic. He was a famous skeptic or something. I don't know. But instead, it's just like, oh, he seems a generally pro- popular and respected uh, investigative journalist, and throughout the film, basically performs a number of tasks really well and successfully uh, in a way that suggests. Okay, so so what was the reason he didn't get? I suppose it's like a faith thing, but it's quite like okay, but your <laughs> this person didn't get raptured, and they like s- helped save the plane, helped defuse a situation with a passenger. Like it's like um, it, it's just they could have at least if they'd been specific about what he'd done as a journalist, mm. have more of a like moral reason for him being a like flawed character. But I suppose maybe that's not, maybe the propaganda of the film is that you could be a moral person, but if you don't believe, if, you, if, you, if you're the wrong religion, if you're the wrong, yeah, the only religious person that's left behind is a Muslim in a kind of like, hey, they didn't even bat the, like, it's horrible <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Horrible stuff. When they, they had a, sort of the, the Muslim on the plane and then he, they just can't help but put this poor guy in every forced confrontational situation that they can. Um, I'm trying to think. It was uh, Melvin, and uh, I've just got it down in my notes as Hasim versus Melvin. Melvin immediately <laughs> suspects he's a terrorist. He's just like, who's God, yours or mine? And he gets him to pull out an electric toothbrush from his bag. He just gets ostracized by this one person immediately and if anything you know and, and i you know make your own judgments if you watch the film i would go as far to say hasim one of the nicest characters in the film with what he's given melvin a prick <laughs> oh. i'll stand by that oh for sure and also more terrible right you know there's a bit of um there's a sort of bit of uh uh th- th- yeah that character tries to help melvin put his bag uh, in the overheads when he is uh, like like because he is taller than him, mm. uh, so so Melvin is quite short and the writing there is really bad because it has uh, Melvin go ape shit and be like <laughs> uh, I don't need your help and I'm like yeah but you could have done more path there there'd be more that wouldn't I don't think realistically that's how the situation would go down there'd be a different there'd be a different type of anger at the assumption that he needed help. 
but it's just it, it felt like a right it just was like a right being like um beep beep boop boop conflict there we go <laughs> it's like how quickly can i just get him to shout and then that's probably fine <laughs> um I suppose for context, Melvin, uh, I guess a form of uh, dwarfism. And when we meet him, he's just looking at every other person on the flight who's in his vicinity of the first class in just with just rage. Um, he's just instantly very aggressive. Um, and he... I, I thought he was going to start like punching the little girl who was sat next to him because he was like, <laughs> it was like, what are you looking at? And uh, obviously, like if it's just very innocent yeah, little girl, she gets raptured, and the only time we sort of thought there might be some—I don't even know if I could call them layers to characters in this film—but when this <laughs> might be something underlining him that he might have something to do with gambling, might be a gambling issue there, because um, he finds out that the the girl's daughter is uh, an NFL player. He makes a note and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to put a bet on." Um, then that's immediately dismissed. We never go back to that. Um, yep. Again, I, th- I think for fear of getting ahead of myself, I think it's one of the issues with this film. Again, because there are so many characters and still so many more to talk about. Um, there's just no time to invest in any of them, yet alone uh, Cage and uh, Buck and Cage's daughter, Chloe Steele, played by Cassie Thompson. Because um, we're just trying to find out where everyone's gone, um, what has happened. And it's, I mean, we get Hasim, like I said, who he's a nice guy. And then Cameron Williams book to his friends who by force default is the most competent character because he's the only one that does things. Um, mm-hmm. I t- like With the cast as a whole, I don't know what, uh, what your sort of feelings are. If there's anyone that you actually actually liked in this film. Oh, I mean, I mean, like, Cage is fine in it. Cage is fine, but it just, there's nothing. I mean, he doesn't, there's no, whether it's him or the director or whatever, but there's no, it's very, it's a very extreme situation he's in. And he's a pretty dry character. There's no, there's no whack. There's no whack or wacky to it at all. It's very, (laughs) it's it's pretty somber. Which is like, but like, there's no, you know, he has like one in uh, like emotional phone call with his daughter, but that's about it. The rest of it is quite like a like, sorry, you've only you're you're only on default factory setting human being, <laughs> Nick Cage. Like, uh, you'll have to upgrade to Nick Cage Premium to get the full set of human emotions that like. <laughs> so, so having started that sentence or paragraph saying I thought Nick Cage was no, I mean, yeah, I think he absolutely phones it in. It's quite a boring quite a boring role in what is theoretically quite a high stakes scenario mm. um yeah i don't know i mean that book guy was fine i mean there's just uh, uh, uh um <laughs> i suppose also the um one of the flight attendants is quite gossipy but then she gets raptured so she's a very christian conscious gossip <laughs> she's begging at one point she's begging her colleague to tell her more gossip about a possible uh, hookup and then like <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes later she's raptured I'm like what yeah. how, how got the biggest gossip on the plane gets to go to heaven yeah. we got the devout kindly muslim that is just st- stuck on stuck on hell airways <laughs> yeah there didn't seem to be um other than one and again i'm using air quotes here explanation of who gets raptured and who doesn't by the time they get to the end of the film and basically um Cage, Rayford Steele and his daughter Chloe Steele, both in their own time, figure out that um, his wife, her mother, was correct, even though they've done nothing but lambasta for about three quarters of the film, saying, Christianity, what's that all about then? Then they're like, <laughs> oh, oh shit, it's actually the rapture. Um, and even then, Cage isn't, doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. Um, there seems to be, again, what we're saying, no rhyme or reason as to... Um, necessarily who got raptured and who didn't the only sort of explanation was if you were 100% committed to God to Jesus to the religion you fully invested in it you completely believed it this was entirely your person there was no room for your own personality then 
you were taken uh, to the pearly gates, I think. Um, but but even then, it, it, it's it's like you say, um, the the children seem to get an immediate pass. Um, there was even actual vicars who uh, Chloe meets just goes to see a vicar <laughs> randomly because the best time to introduce a new character is in like in the last 30 minutes of a film. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's like, he gets really emotional. He's like, he's like, you've got to believe, but I didn't believe. And I think, okay, well, the, maybe there could have been something interesting there with your character, like the vicar who didn't believe there could have been some, um, I can't even say gold, some copper that could have been stripped from the walls of your character. <laughs> Um, but like I say, there's just, it, it just seemed to be like an absolute, uh, Thanos finger snap of selection. Um, because if <laughs> my, my thinking was, if the only criteria was that, um, like you had to believe then what about, uh, you know, like prisoners, if they were com- completely converted Christians or, uh, there's like murderers or whatever, could they in theory have been raptured as well? I have so many questions that won't be answered. That's why it's really, yeah, that, and that's why it's such a, like, fun, um, you know, it's a fun old, the rapture's a fun old premise, but, like, really, the film doesn't have a lot of fun, because, like, I mean, it's, you know, it seems like an ideology, it seems as much as, like, an ideology film first, like, it doesn't actually want to, like, the film genuinely seems to be like an hour and 40 minutes public information advert for the rapture. Like, it, like <laughs> the tone, the tone of the film is like, Oh, this is going to happen. And um, mm. yeah, you need to buck up your life. Like it, and it ends with like a Bible quote being like, well, you don't know the time for when the, you, uh, watch out, look busy. <laughs> like it's, it's really like, it doesn't have, you know, I, I uh, you know, it has some fun with like, basically the main thing that happens is just fuck loads of cars and trucks and planes crash because the people driving it got raptured. Yeah. Whereas I like to live, I like to live, <laughs> I like to live in towns where only morally ambiguous uh, agnostics <laughs> drive cars. And I know that at no time can the driver be teleported up to St. Peter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, it doesn't, there's not like, you know, what are other, what are the fun scenarios if a rapture is happening? Like I suppose, you know, yeah, the, the the whole city's on fire by the end because, like, all of the people operating stuff have been raptured. Again, all the crane operators, very devout Christians, is what we're finding. Um, <laughs> yeah, many uh, many trades that are purely hired on their devotion to uh, to to Christianity. Uh, one of my, and uh, this wasn't so much in the context of the storyline of the film. One of my favorite things was just watching the extras when the rapture happened and there were some people in the background who were just walking around uh there was one woman in a car park who just had like a box of shoes she just walked back and forwards a few times uh, considering this all happens over the case of the, well i think i think over one day um mm-hmm. and this is going towards the and chloe was sort of uh racing towards the makeshift airway uh, as she was going up that lane, um, there were just two cars that drove slowly past. They had nowhere to be, like they hadn't noticed that it had happened. <laughs> some, some people were just going on about their lives. And then, um, who, who was it? I, I forget the name. Chloe's brother, uh, Cage's son, he gets raptured. Um, and then some of the reactions to the rapture as well, and... I suppose we can say this, well, how would you react in, in if someone you loved just suddenly disappeared and there was only a pile of clothes next to her? Um, although... I'd be like, sick trick, sick trick. I would like, <laughs> I wouldn't... I think there needs to be a longer beat of confusion because I would be like, oh, where's Ashton Kutcher? Like, I'd be like, oh, yes. I've been punked. But like, they go to they go to panic slightly quicker than I would. Yeah, uh, I mean, like you could cut your might, I would have gone, <laughs> Beatles back, everyone. Um, <laughs> but obviously, she doesn't like immediately react. But then, considering her brother's clothes are on the floor and he's now gone, and everyone around them, like panic is starting to build. My question was, why did she? Why did she start looking at his backpack for him? <laughs> she, she just started digging around, and I was like, look, even though. I I have no doubt that the human mind, the brain, could not process that in the moment. 
I am 99% sure your brother did not strip off in the blink of an eye and crawl into his own backpack like some turtle. I think let's have some, <laughs> let's have some perspective there. Um, the other thing um, I noticed about the mall scene as well, I don't know if you spotted this, but obviously it happens to everyone. It's just in the blink of an eye, it's in a flash. It just happens. Clothes fell from the ceiling where there was no walkway. How did they get up there? Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't think it was fully thought because I thought it was something to do with the um the uh, balloons. So I thought it was like the, the heating balloons, but it's like no, no, the balloons would just go up, but the clothes would stay down. The the, the clothes wouldn't go up a bit with the balloons and then come down or something. I don't know. I felt <laughs> like it was something to do with that. There are a few. <laughs> there are a few. Yeah, the um. Oh man, um, <laughs> the whole yeah, the clothes thing is funny. I'm just trying to think of like the funniest, um. Yeah, I suppose people swimming in the sea or whatever, but like, um, <laughs> it's uh, I mean, yeah, but they had to do they had to do later in the film, she has to discover her mother's raptured, and they discover yeah. that because there's jewelry in the yeah. in the shower. But that's you know, it's got to be there's got to be a lot of people using the rapture to, um, you know, the, well, there was that like British politician that went off in the canoe, right? There was that, what was it, politician? There was that Australian politician that pretended they'd been drowned at sea and left all their clothes on the beach. Yes. And then actually they, yeah. Yeah. So I think there'd be a lot of that during the rapture. There'd be a lot of like, I'm going to just leave my clothes in a pile. <laughs> and then you would get, you would get investigators that would have to be become like, you know, <laughs> it's quite dark. You know how people are like, well, we can tell from the way that the, the body is, whether this was a, whether they were pushed or whether this was suicide. <laughs> and then it'd be like, well, we can tell with the way that these clothes are arranged, whether this was a bona fide rapture um, sweater drop or whether this was a insurance fake. Um, <laughs> yeah, there'd be bona fide rapture detectives who would be... totally. I, I mean, I like to think the Vatican would just ha have some in reserve for, for the real big stuff. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, even with that, very much I've seen I've earlier. seen piles of crumpled jeans in my time, like a sort of <laughs> dead-eyed, dead-eyed investigator taking a drag on their cigarette. <laughs> I mean, Colombo, you know, what's he up to during all of this? He's like, <laughs> it's like, just one more thing, my wife, poof, and then he's gone. It's like, your wife, what, Colombo? <laughs> your wife, what? <laughs> Love. What we're saying about, like, I have a lot of people reacting on what you were saying, what the funny situations that could occur to get suddenly raptured in. Um, the only one that sort of came to my mind is, assuming this happened all across the world, which I, I believe it did, statistically speaking, someone somewhere, that there, there are couples sort of making love to each other. Statistically, one of them has just disappeared. And either the response is, oh, no, or damn, I'm good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of stories to tell there, um, and I don't know if you saw. What was that part when um, Chloe spends about an hour of the film, like walking through the streets, just screaming for her brother, and then a guy gets randomly shotgunned by what looks like Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I was confused. Was he robbing a bank, or was it just like complete? I, I, I couldn't work out. I genuinely couldn't work out what was happening in that scene or what the reason for it was. It was like, it was such a dumb... Uh, yeah, honestly, I just think human emotions are more complicated and a lot more... I just... So much of the film is uh, just random acts of violence and civil disorder that have occurred for this. And, like, it would be... It would be an insane thing if it were to happen. But you wouldn't be like... <laughs> I just don't think anyone's like, oh, about a sixth of the population's vanished. Time to ride around on a moped and steal handbags at a larger percentage than is common. Like, what? That's not what... That's not what the reaction... It's not like... It's not like now's the time for, like, handbag, moped snatching, like, Crime City. Like, I don't think that's oh, what yeah. happens. And, uh, again, I've... I can, you know, say I've never been the victim of a moped uh, handbag snatch myself, but... And I've never been raptured either. That's, the, that's you know... <laughs> Our Vens meet in the middle right there. Exactly. Um, but can I say that moped, and I know exactly the one you're talking about, the slowest moped that has ever <laughs> done a drive-by. She could definitely have held on to it. And you know, I don't want to assume her speed or physical ability or anything like that, but you could have caught up to that moped. <laughs> right, no, right. It's no like... Question. <laughs> 
it's like doing Grand Theft Auto with a milk float. It's like, yeah, <laughs> someone could catch someone could catch up to you, I think. Yeah, I mean, does that even blip as a one-star crime on GTA? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. It, I don't know that it does. Um, sort of looking at this film, and um, as all, uh, as much as I sort of hate to admit it, the one, one of the reasons I like watching, especially the poor films like this, is because there's, uh, and again, there's still so much more to talk about, but there's just as much enjoyable information sort of behind the scenes on these films as well. So. Um, I didn't realize that, um, well, two pertinent facts. One, um, this is based on a book franchise, a multimedia franchise, which deals with the rapture. It's like a 16 right. franchise. Oh my God. I, you know, sometimes you just end up down the Wikipedia hole and you're like, well, I've stopped. Mm-hmm. I'm going to finish. So <laughs> I hate to admit this. I skimmed through the synopsis of 16 rapture based books um, Jesus. Let, let's just say that Nicolas Cage's character, Cameron Buck, uh, Chloe Steele, they're very, very important characters in this series. Um, like in the Bible, they all eventually have like a live to be a thousand and they have a thousand grandchildren because I guess in biblical what? times there was nothing else to do but fuck. Um, Jesus turns up at one point. He's a character in the penultimate books. And then it basically ends, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, all those who eventually believe after Jesus has come back get taken to heaven. There's dissolution and factions of people of basically agnostics and on the fences. I think there's some devil worshippers in there. They don't make the cut. The believers get taken to heaven. Uh, Jesus has a battle with Lucifer because you've got to throw some stakes in there, obviously. Throws them in a black hole. And uh, I should I should <laughs> say, if you've not read the books, spoilers. Uh, and then... God- <laughs> Then God just creates a new earth, throws all the believers back on it, and we've got the full reset. But this time, it's uh, Die Hard 2, or Die Hard 3 with Christian Vengeance. So those are the books. <laughs> those are the books in a nutshell. Um, they were on the New York Times bestseller list because... Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm at this point in my life now where what book doesn't end up on the New York Times bestseller list? everything's on <laughs> is there any criteria anymore to get on that list maybe i'm just being ignorant uh that was as of 2016 they said over 65 million copies in various languages have been sold um sorry what number did you just say 65 million copies of the series oh my god that's uh, sorry that's just so many it's like in in some circles this is the numbers you have a a very popular series um what what i sort of didn't realize as well is that this 2014 version uh they tried to make the films before this is technically a reboot um great <laughs> but the authors tim LaHaye and jerry b jenkins amazing name basically when the fir- first three films were made between 2000 and 2005 uh, the authors hated them. Uh, they didn't like the way they, that they came across. And they were so upset that they filed a lawsuit claiming breach of contract because the films were so bad. Then it went, wow. we skipped to 2008 when uh, the suit is settled. Part of the agreement granted the authors basically the license to remake the series. And... Um, this is where we get enter stage left Nicolas Cage. The only reason he did it, and I'm sure the financial issues of the time were probably a pertinent <laughs> factor, um, but his brother, Mark Coppola, was a priest, well, is a priest, a huge fan of the films, and basically begged him to do it as a fav- a personal favour. Wow. So when we and say Cage that- was like, <laughs> Cage was like, you'll you'll do it, but I'll only I'll only I'll, I'll, you'll get like a sort of um, you'll get a screensaver version of me. You won't get the full. <laughs> yeah. So like when when we rightly talk about Cage phoning it the fucking, that is basically why. Um, I don't know his religious standings. I'm assuming he wanted nothing to do with this film. And that's why it's basically 95% of his screen time is, I'm just going to go and sit in the cockpit for a bit um, <laughs> <laughs> and just play with my phone. 
Um, so with that with that in mind, and I appreciate I've just I've just dumped a lot of information on you there. Um, I'm not going to assume that this changes your view of the film, but um, in terms of the series, is that has that opened your eyes to um, to the Christian media? Well, oh god, I mean the there's this is on the like this is on the like bigger budget end of it's really um i mean there's just so many things that were like there were so many little bits of i just remembering about the u2 tickets there's an entire thing with like, oh my god u2 tickets <laughs> yes. it's like i don't think i don't think it's like it's not like kate bush playing for the first time in 20 like u2 are you <laughs> two are a heavy tour u2 are a heavy touring stadium band and they're like oh my god you've got the the hard to get u2 concert tickets i'm like that's not they're not cheap <laughs> But they're not like difficult to source. Like they are yeah. one of they are like probably quite possibly the band, quite possibly the band that's played to the most human beings ever in human history. But yeah. in terms of that, in terms of your percentage likelihood to have seen you two, you're probably like not many, but maybe the Rolling Stones. Yeah, <laughs> there are not there are not many bands that are gonna maybe like Iron Maiden. Maybe yeah. I don't know. But you two have got to be in the top five or ten most humans perform to musicians of all time. Yeah. So I just think I just think it's overegging it to be like, oh my god, you got you two tickets. Like, <laughs> this is this also this is twenty fourteen. This isn't like Joshua Tree. This is like no line on the horizon or something era you two. This is not like even like vintage you two. Yeah, is this I... around the iPod. Maybe it would have been around the iPod. Maybe this is like an iPod. Maybe maybe they they put it on the iPod and they're like, well, iPod and Left Behind. Those will be the two ways that we promote this. Yeah, I, I mean, when I and it seemed to be a big sticking point, especially for the connection between Chloe and Rayford. I was kind of like, do, one, do you two even know they're being name dropped so heavily and importantly in this film? I mean, if it was made sort of now and they'd said. Like oh he you got a PS5 then I'd be impressed, but, <laughs> but not not you too and get the, being that's a tragedy. There's a rapture and then a guy driving a PS5 van crashes <laughs> and there are hundreds of PS5s get destroyed and that's really the big tragedy of the film. They're so difficult to get. <laughs> and I won't have anyone ever tell me that my podcast is not relatable. Um, <laughs> But that whole U2 thing seems to be like a big... Uh, that's how Chloe gets tipped off that her dad is cheating on her mother um, because he got U2 tickets. And again, I don't know if I missed something there, but that's a level of investigative journalism that I wish I'd applied to this because two and two were put <laughs> together and I feel that they made five and they just thought, well, that's close enough to four. We'll roll with that. Well, it was the like, yeah, so in that scene, there's like a bit, basically at the beginning of the film, we see Nick Cage uh, take off his wedding ring yeah. um, before going into work. And then when he meets his uh, daughter sort of slightly surprisingly at the airport, um, uh, she's like, dad, you're not wearing your ring. And then he goes, um, he goes, uh, oh, I, I never wear my ring to fly. And she's like, Okay. she just like doesn't i'm like well that's you're not even i feel like there could have been a follow-up quite like that doesn't <laughs> he's not he's not working in like a kitchen he's not working in any environment where using his hands would justify him removing his ring in any way but she's <laughs> no. like oh i nearly got you but you had that incredible excuse of i always take my ring off when i go to work it's like you're a pilot he, nick cage is a pilot in this film there's no reason he would take his ring. she's like yeah yeah i accept that yeah, it's uh, like it was. It was like the the most basic lie as a response, and yet the one response she wasn't prepared for. He could have said mm. like, uh, "Oh, there's turbulence. It makes rings go up and down." Like that may have been more convincing than just, "I just don't wear my wedding ring when I'm thirty thousand feet in the air," because marriage has no business in the stratosphere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe that would have been would have been more convincing um this is what i mean though just a lot of the film it's just i think at some point like 20 minutes in when you've kind of when you've um you kind of indoctrinated to all like the hallmark music shopping channel music in the background throughout the film all the time you just start shrugging you're like well i guess <laughs> i guess i'm strapped into this film now 
Um, I think going back to what I was saying about um, obviously the author's struggles, uh, it seems like they were the only two people in the world who enjoyed this. When the reboot was sort of confirmed, um, the direct quote from the author Tim LaHaye was, uh, Lord willing, we are going to see this thing made into the movie that it should be and that all the world sees it before the real rapture comes. So they put themselves on a very pressing time scale <laughs> to get this right. made. Oh my god, that's so that'd be a funny reason to that'd be a funny reason to go direct to DVD. It's like we really think the raptures and we're just we're just releasing it now. We're just we're just like radio heading this. It's just going out immediately because we just think the raptures like tomorrow and you've only got like another couple of days to make your minds up. Jesus yeah. wise. <laughs> this was like the epitome of the, the, the self-published film and <laughs> they weren't put off by the critical reception um or lack thereof um collectively and i'm quoting they felt that this was the best movie they had ever seen on the rapture and now i'm gonna put my hands up i don't know how many rapture films that there are sure, to compare. sure. um <laughs> and they also added that they felt it would be new interest in their book series and they asked they asked quite straightly did you think the film was good the response better than good um so so i'm like i don't know if we saw the same film but what i really enjoyed um there was a christian magazine called christianity today and they were they were really critical of the reception well have the film was in itself and its depictions of christians they're like it's depicted christians as like just really annoying really crazy and the direct quote which i thought was just superb they said that they tried to give the film zero stars, but their tech system wouldn't allow it. So they had to give it like <laughs> they had to give it a star. Um, so Christians didn't like it. Agnostics probably didn't like it. Um, uh, people who were atheist, I'm going to guess, didn't like it as well. Um, and then if you're sort of familiar with the, the Golden Raspberries, which is basically celebrating yeah. the worst of the worst. Now, this was a film that was nominated in three categories. At the 35th annual Golden Raspberry Awards, it was nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Screenplay. Cage was nominated for Worst Actor, which is always a travesty if you ask me. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think so it's I'm, unfair. He does nothing. It's like saying that, like, I don't know. It's just he's tap water in this film. It's like worst drink. I'm like, no, it's not the best <laughs> drink, but it's not the. It's you've got. I mean, piss is worse. Like you know the. the He's just tap water. There's there's a solid argument to be made for tap water if um you know if it's accessible to you. Um, sure, sure. Um unfortunately, or for better or worse, it did uh, lose out in all three categories to Saving Christmas, which was also yes. Christian-based Christmas film, zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And the greatest kick is that it coincidentally starred um a gentleman called Kirk Cameron who was also in the original Left Behind series. Oh, my God. Just wonderful, wonderful irony uh, coming full circle. Um, and it was, it was obviously, we were saying about it being um, sort of self-produced, which technically it was. It was made by a company called uh, Cloud 10 Pictures uh, by um, a pair of brothers called the, the Lalonde Brothers. It was produced and co-written by Paul Lalonde, um, and again, the air quotes are coming out. They specialize in producing end times Christian films. So they had a lot of stock in this. What? That's so specific. Yeah. it's it, uh, and This is one of the joys of sort of learning about not just the Cage filmography, but just more about films in general. Um, you know, there's films, then undoubtedly there are Christian films. And apparently there's a subgenre of Christian films that specialize in the end of times and the rapture and and all of that so which is um and i don't claim to be a film expert or anything like that i'm just a man who thinks nicholas cage is the greatest actor of our generation but to, <laughs> to learn things like that is just just fascinating a part of me and i don't know if this is a sadistic part of me wants to just reach out and find these end times films purely so i can compare what i've worked with so far and left behind Oh my god! Well, it's the same year. Twenty fourteen is the same year as that film, God's Not Dead. If you remember that one. No, I think that one might have. That was have quite a high going. for a Chris. That that one grossed sixty five million dollars. That's a Christian film where it's um, 
the like opening bit of it is like it's just a big culture war film and the opening bit of it is like someone in, enrolling in a philosophy class taught by an atheist pr- professor and the professor demands his students sign a declaration that god is dead to pass it's like okay no <laughs> like that just wouldn't that's just like no <laughs> philosophy professor would ever ask you to do like it's oh. um <laughs> no again with my limited understanding of philosophy I, I don't know if it's as open and closed a case as that when it comes to philosophy. I'm, I'm sure part of it is asking questions, not working in definitives, which it sounds yes. like that one's pushing quite a lot. Yes, I think so. <laughs> that's, that's mad. Um, there was, I'm just looking through my notes now. There was other characters, and I'm, and I'm kind of sort of holding off talking about Cage a little bit. Um, because mm-hmm. um because he he is the meat and potatoes of my world um there was <laughs> a few characters and again i'm kind of circling back to how a lot of characters it feels like there were interesting stories to tell there was um the character who got on um who was like the blonde lady she had the sunglasses on and then suddenly like four different guys were just checking her out the second she got on to the plane and it the way it's filmed it makes you it forces you to think okay well you know we've drawn attention to this character there's there's going to be something here uh and then we just i don't know if we'd even learn anything about her she claims to know what's going on she hasn't she is the one who has the inkling about the rapture it turns out she's a she's a drug addict and Again, I sometimes I hate to be critical of people's acting because I, I know on some level people are are trying, they're giving it their all. She acted like her life was depending on it, like the director had a gun to her off camera. Um, I've never seen anyone as groaning juicingly pant as heavy as she has so consistently in the film. And then I, you might know exactly where I'm coming from because, uh, like, Buck, he uh, he sees the needle marks and he's like, just pop your headphones in and have a sleep. That was that was his way of just getting her to calm down. It turned out, um, and I don't, and again, I don't want to assume how people got roles and whatnot, but in this instance, she is actually the director's daughter. Ah, uh, right, right, right. So that might... I mean, she... <laughs> Is she uh, is she British? Because she had a British accent. Is she actually British? I believe that she is. Um, I'm just trying to find uh, the director. It was Vic Armstrong, who, um, according to the brief information on his Wikipedia page, is the Guinness Book of Records, uh, the world's most prolific stunt double. He's only... This seems to have been his first major film that he helmed. The only other sort of claim to fame was he was a second unit director on 2012's the amazing (laughs) spider-man and it shows great (laughs) Um, so again i don't i don't know what your thought of and again just going back to characters who seemed like there there was going to be more to them uh like uh the the drug addict character but did you did you feel i guess what i'm asking like any kind of satisfaction with any kind of characters because i know we sort of end on a cliffhanger but was there any sort of non-cage character that you thought outside of book that were like maybe there's something here i can grab onto maybe there's something interesting or was it just as you put there a massive sigh for all of them <laughs> yeah i mean i don't i mean there was just uh he was just very like um you know uh archetypes and very like or just like and now there's the the person that does this, and like there was no, you know, there was no attempt to like uh, say or do anything with any of the people that makes them a three D human being. I mean, there was just like quite a crass depiction of an an elderly couple where I was like, how it just feels like the writers have not met. I mean, because one of them, I guess, had dementia or Alzheimer's, but then her husband gets raptured, and so. She she doesn't understand what's going on, but it's just like it was just done very unrealistically, and it felt almost like almost like dementia being played for quite bad laughs at one point, and it was just like yeah. I don't 
Yeah. This isn't good. Um, <laughs> it was stuff like it was stuff like before they'd taken off. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's Paul's, but it was just like before they'd taken off the the wife being like, "Oh, we've arrived, have we?" I'm like, I don't. She knows that they're going on a. I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but it's just like there was none of the attempt to write that in any kind of 3D way. Um, no. Yeah. No. Um, a lot of it felt very archetypal because we had the old couple, and because as soon as you go old, you get dementia. That's just how life is. Sim. <laughs> obviously a terrorist because well naughty naughty he is brown um and just other and just other stuff where it's just like i had to like resist sort of putting my the head into the palm of my hands just thinking like like there's there's lazy writing and then there's just archetype bingo and they've just ticked <laughs> all the boxes um there was the one guy whose name i didn't get who when the rapture happened, they were all trying to figure out what happened. Um, and he was like, oh, maybe it was aliens. And everyone just started like laughing. They're like, aliens? I get a load of this guy. And I was like, if I was up there, I was like, well, you explain it. You tell me. Yeah, yeah. You tell me it wasn't aliens. You prove that right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think a thing that would have been fun, like one of the archetypes that was like, as we, I think, alluded to earlier, was like started to be drawn and then nothing was done with it, was just like um, that one of them used the fact... So the daughter, um, next is it, Mervyn's character, was like... Um, Melvin, sorry, was like... Uh, her dad was a, a, a American football player. Hmm. And then he used the fact that she, that, that she knew he was injured to be able to, like, he could go and do a bet on it because he knew this piece of information yeah and i think it would have been funny if he'd been like <laughs> if he'd been like i need to find out which football players are religious or not so i can bet on the right teams that <laughs> may or may not like like at least it would have been funny to, for him to try and work like they didn't even use i don't know gambling's a funny uh, you know it's a serious illness uh if you've got an addiction but it's a you know there could be a funny comedic device there for him like being like now which of um which of the Yankees are Christian or not? Well, I remember the what of Derek Jeter. I don't know what my Yankees references these days are, but um, yeah, there was none of that. I think that was like a missed opportunity. Yeah, if it's because he'd made a note and he was clearly going to get in contact with someone to place a bet. So even if you've been able to um, make a call and, and something and just been like, no, I don't. I've, I don't want agnostics. I need full blown lineback Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me something. Um, do we think the Catholics are going? Do we? There's not. It's not really clear whether there's any kind of schism. Like, obviously, it's an American evangelical film. So, do Catholics? Do Catholics get raptured in this? We're not. It's not really clear. It's um. It's not really. It's not really clear from this. I mean, um, I think when I went through all the synopsis of the books, I sort of stayed short of a. Uh, the, the nitty gritty stuff. Uh, the only sure, sure, sure. <laughs> the only note of uh, major reference I made was that from the character description on the Wikipedia page, um, Rayford Steele is, and I quote, the most fully developed character in the series. And if that doesn't give you confidence in what Cage was doing, then I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Although he, he had the, he had that um, when he was flirting with. Um, Hattie, I think it was the air stewardess. He was in the little kitchen area. He made that really bad dad joke um, about the dead rabbit, that carry in, carry on thing. And got a big laugh from that. She loved it. I'm surprised sure. they didn't just, that he didn't just drop trail and they just raw dogged there and then on all the airline <laughs> food. Um, but he, when they said, um, you know, he was relying heavily on Hattie to basically control the situation. Everyone was trying to break into the cockpit. Um, he's like, "Look, we're we're trained for situations like this." And I thought, "I I don't I don't think that you are. I don't think anyone is trained for a situation like this. Not even you, Rayford Steele, Nicholas Cage, and one of his most 
uh, I think apt quotes when he was um, he addressed a carriage of the plane, and he just said, um, and one he wasn't affected at all by the fact his co-pilot disappeared. There was not a hint of emotion from him about that. <laughs> then he addresses <laughs> he addresses the carriage with the quote I noted. It's like I know you all want answers, and believe me. So do I. And my note here was Cage is homicidally calm, like he did it. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. But um, now, like I say, obviously just getting a bit more to like Cage, and obviously now we know the reasons why he's done it. And even though he was phoned it in, um, th- did you find sort of anything, I guess, redemptive about Cage in this or something that was. Uh, watchable about Cage's performance in this? I mean, look, it was just, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, not a wacky, not a wacky Nicolas Cage. It was quite a low energy performance. So I would say, you know, I guess in the kind of spectrum of like, maybe a national treasure, Nick Cage, maybe that's the energy level he's bringing. National treasure, he's sort of pretty. He's having fun in bits of. He, he's bringing more energy to that. But but like, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was just so low energy. It was just so like, I don't know. It was just like this was a man where the rapture was happening. He was flying a plane that they partially crashed with a plane midair. They were then trying to fly back to JFK with oil leaking out and burning up behind them, and it was like he was doing his tax return. Like it was very. <laughs> There was no conveying of the serious dramatic stakes involved. I no. felt. I don't know. I felt. I felt it was very low end. Yeah, I'm hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. When I mean, the, the, there are stakes there. I mean, you had the sort of exciting question mark bit when the other plane was flying into them because the pilot had gone. And my question there: How high was that plane that it was flying straight for so long anyway? Um, then you've got the oil leak that was burning um, and then they sort of stop to give like 50% exposition about what is happening there you've got Buck and Rayford are now teaming up to assess the plane damage Cage again, not phased in the slightest of the imminent and uh, pressing danger and then he gets like a polystyrene cup to explain the situation and he's like, okay, this is what's happening. happening he pokes a hole in the top of the cup and in the bottom <laughs> of the cup and then he never follows up with the explanation of like what is happening with the wing. And Buck's like, yeah, okay, I can fill in the blanks. That's absolutely fine. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's like the writers I mean, were like, I don't, un- I've started this analogy, but I'm too deep into it to, to pull out. So I'm just going to stop. So I wonder whether the uh, one subtle element of the Left Behind series could be, I was just looking at some of the Wikipedia page that the, uh, it says in describing Rayford Steele, it says, though, uh, though his job at PanCon, the airline, I think a fictional airline, right? Is that a real airline? I, would, Pan, I Pan, assume Pan. fictional. Uh, though his job at PanCon enables him to afford a large house and expensive cars. I'm like, wait, sorry, is this like a union busting film? Is this like a film <laughs> wildly uh, <laughs> exacerbates or elevates the disposable income of pilots being like, mm, see, this is what, if we just, I don't think pilots are like, I don't think it's not that, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's that well paid a job that it's like, you know, tons of expensive cars or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you can do the job in a simulator game, are you that well paid? That's right, you know, right, right. I'm just asking it... questions. I'm not trying to start a war with the pilots' <laughs> unions. And when he's at the front still, and he's getting booked to do everything, um, and this this just goes back into um, just some of the insane things that the characters are doing. Obviously, Buck has to go into investigative journalist mode. And he gets the camera and he's filming because, okay, that's consistent with his character. One of the few consistencies I guess we've seen in the film so far. Um, But then he gets the camera and puts it right in the face of a grieving mother whose child has disappeared. And he's like, can you explain what you saw? And she's like, no, I can't explain that. And he's like, were you doing anything? Was your child doing anything? It's like, do mm. you think I threw them out and did this to myself? <laughs> and then his, um, his, when he's sort of rallying the troops, um, I think this is when uh, there's a woman later on who pulls a gun out. This is um, uh, the daughter of the NFL player. Um, 
she pulls the gun out and she's like, my husband paid for you all of this flight to lie about my daughter. And my husband did this. And then that's a thing they have to deal with for five minutes. Then the, 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 uh, the drug addict sort of pipes up and explains that, well, I learned about this at Bible camp and that everyone gets taken to heaven and books just like to, to, to empathize with her. He's like, I don't have a daughter, but I've got a mom. I was like, well, I, well, I guess you know all about it then, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> also, just like with the gun thing, it's just like, it's, I mean, it's not, um, this is like a post, I, I, I don't know, maybe in, maybe in the left, maybe in the left behind uh, uh, chronology, 9-11 doesn't happen. And thus the security on planes hasn't been beefed up anymore. But like, oh yeah, yeah she's just got a handgun on a plane. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, she, no, she doesn't. She's also flying from America to London. She's flying on a mode of transport where you're not allowed handguns to a country where handguns are banned. So it's like, I feel like it's zero for two on the handgun thing. <laughs> like, okay, you know, we can question the security of a of PanCon in general, a very lax airline by anyone's <laughs> standards, but at some point, Rapture or no, she was getting arrested. Um, it's it's, it's sim- simultaneously an airline whereby... The metal detectors are so severe that Nick Cage can't have his wedding ring on to go to work. <laughs> by someone it's a very strange. Those were those. They don't like lead or steel, no. but they hate <laughs> gold. Perhaps, perhaps it's an impure wedding ring. Perhaps in another way, in Nick Cage's uh, atheistic impure marriage, he'd actually forged a ring not out of gold, but some baser material. <laughs> he was a monster from the beginning, and I'm the fool yeah, for exactly. not seeing it and not knowing my uh, my my base <laughs> scientific elements. Um, I think the other quote that Nicolas Cage comes out with, which again sums up the film, the world of the film, or however you want to look at it, is he said, um, either I'm going crazy or the entire world is insane. Preach, Nicolas Cage. Because trying to process this, I felt like I was going insane. Um, highlighted when he gets the U2 tickets back uh, via book and, she, and Chloe's just written on them, today's the saddest day of my life. I was like, I felt quite sad. Watching, <laughs> watching this but um but when he when they finally make contact because he's got that satellite phone he's been trying to dial his wife and daughter for about an hour and they um she's going to jump off a bridge but then as if it's a a sign from the heavens the plane comes down gets in contact and then she basically does a big art attack and makes the makeshift runway um, <laughs> by creating a small fire which apparently you can see from 20 15 20,000 feet in the air um they managed to land the plane um and again cage very relaxed about the whole thing which okay if we're going to stretch the realms of imagination i guess i want a pilot to be calm in a life-threatening situation if i'm on a plane which okay i'll stretch to believe that but then when the plane lands and you can tell it's where all the budget went there was uh, other explosions, the slow mo bits. She, uh, Chloe's running for some reason from the explosions as well. And because films, there just has to be a gas tanker at the end of the runway because, of course, there is. Sure, sure. Um, which is like, you know, they pulled the same stunt in Con Air. I will not have that twice. I know my <laughs> cage chronology. I won't have that twice. That's um, what that's what God, but that's what God. If God were really rapturing people, that he would he would think of it as con air. Except it's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> except it's like unbeliever air. That's what he sees <laughs> the plane, the plane leftovers of. <laughs> yeah, heathen airlines, <laughs> and uh, everyone on it is a non-believer. And again, the, the film sort of ends. The only sort of, um, and again, if for lack of a better term levity with the film ending is when it lands and they're all going down the inflatable slide when Hasim kicks Melvin off onto the slide I was like well at least someone got something out of this they got some comeuppance (laughs) Um, and then Rayford tells Hattie that she did a great job I'm kind of like did she (laughs) Uh, she did a job it seemed like a bit of a bare minimum and then, obviously, as you said earlier, the end with the um, uh, the the extract from the Bible, which at that point I was like, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to make a note of that. I don't need to know what's going on there. But they're like, um, oh, it looks like the end of the world. Nope, it's just the beginning. Pan out to see all the flames everywhere. And that's where you're supposed to be like, 
oh, left, left, give me left behind two right now. I need to see <laughs> what this is. So, well, I'd enjoy left behind two more because that'd be like, oh yeah, what are the social and political ramifications of the? That's a fun, <laughs> that's a fun old question. But this is quite like yeah. the biggest stakes thing that could happen from a sixth of the world's population getting beam me up, Scotty, to St Peter. <laughs> is like will this plane land on this abandoned highway which this like it was such a yeah such so also i just wanted the you know i wanted the editor to at least have like the rem song at the end like that's 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 <laughs> what i wanted and it was none of that this should have at least been a u2 song at the end right exactly um, if they had like any spine they would have put a u2 song at the end but <laughs> Uh, that goes back to what you, what you said, though. Like that, and what we've been saying is, there's room to build on stories. And I think in a very much like a uh, the forty four hundred, in a TV format, when there's time to build on the characters and there's time to build um, on what the further social and political ramifications of a rapture could be, then maybe there is something interesting there. Um, unfortunately, we just didn't really get any of that in the, in the two hours that we spent. <laughs> With this film um from what i read as well they there were are might be some sequels planned um for better or worse i think they tried to get a kickstarter off the ground um it didn't go the way that they needed it so they just said that it was um that they're moving the kickstarter to their own platform um they tried to launch like a, a twilight-esque spin-off series um about like a younger cast of characters um, which again, the uh, the author loves because of course he does. Um, and I think the guy who played Buck um, seems to be hopeful for a sequel. Um, he might be the only right. one. Um, <laughs> but obviously let's come into the end of, of Left Behind. Um, I guess, would you be interested in a sequel um, and, and wrapping up, what are your thoughts on this absolute 1% film? <laughs> I mean, it's a very bad, it's a very bad film. I'm sorry that I'm sorry that so I so eagerly made about, you know, I think that's my first time I've watched a 1% on, I don't know what the room is, but the room isn't a 1%, the room is sort of not applicable. It's not a, it's, you know, it's an irony, 100% actual 1% film. That's what the room is. Whereas this is uh, actually 1% and there's not really, (laughs) it's not a, you know, there's no like ironic enjoyment in it. It's not bad enough to be, it's not exciting enough. I, I can't possibly recommend this apart from if you're going on a podcast and want to talk about Nicolas Cage that'd be the only <laughs> if, if there are any other Nicolas Cage any of your listeners get invited onto a different Nicolas Cage podcast yes this is indeed a Nicolas Cage film that's, that's <laughs> that, I can give it my seal of this is a Nicolas Cage film approval Nicolas Cage appears in this film <laughs> and what a resounding sign off that is I think like I said <laughs> this is a one percent film and um to awkwardly quote Bernie Sanders, this is the only time I've been happy to be part of the 1%. Um, <laughs> so, um, so to, to wrap up, um, I say thank you. And I also apologize for that. You, that we put you through this film, Alex <laughs> Keeley. Um, but it's been a pleasure to chat to you about this. Um, thank you so much again for joining me for the listeners um, in terms of the socials, where can we find you? Twitter's the main one. So just Alex Keeley, K-E-A-L-Y. Um, yeah, on Twitter. And then there's a, a link to my stand-up special on Next Up if you're interested in watching that. Uh, it's a good show about, um, I say, political psychology. Lovely. So Next Up, look for Alex Keeley there. Twitter, Alex Keeley's there as well. If you've got some follow-up questions about Left Behind, don't send them to him. Send them to me. <laughs> Field me those questions. I can't put him through any more of this. He's already given too much. If anything, uh, for this podcast. Uh, But there, we wrap up. Thank you again, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Um, Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to sail the skies with you. I'm happy we've landed on uh, safer pastures. Uh, But we wrap up this episode. Thank you again for listening. If you have been, we'll see you in the next one. Keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Take care. Bye-bye.